This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Don't forget, top of the hour, Derek Lalone's going to be stopping by head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, but for the purposes of at least the first round, I believe, um, analyst for Hockey Night in Canada and our coverage of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Quick note here, Fluto Shinzawa tweeting this out. Trent Frederick said Ryan Lomberg was choking him, quote, a little bit in game two. This is when the two got tangled. Quote, couldn't breathe, maybe panicked a little too early, but it was getting close to where the lights were going to turn off for a second. I've never seen that one. Game three is tonight. Uh, you can watch that one on CBC Sports at Ontario, East and Pacific, Boston Bruins, and the Florida Panthers. Keith Jones has been a very busy person. Television, radio, you name it, town to town, up and down the dial. From the NHL on TNT, he is Keith Jones, and he joins me now. Jonesy, how are you today? I'm doing well, Jeff. I, I've been choked once before. I know that feeling. Yeah, it I did. Was, uh, Who was it? Scott Stevens. Scott oh. Stevens got me. Oh. And... I learned a valuable lesson at an early part or an early time in my career not to bother that guy. Uh, <laughs> I literally, I honestly thought I was going to go to sleep on yeah. the ice. It was one of the scariest moments I ever had. Oh, and geez. I never, ever bothered him again after that. So lesson <laughs> learned. It's, it's got to be just, I mean, I, I did martial arts for years and I, I've experienced that feeling. And I, I know how awful it is, but, you know, during a competitive game like that, this is like, this is like there is no love lost. Like I understand that no one wants to really significantly hurt anybody else, but those are, to your point, those are really dangerous and really profound moments for someone. I I do wonder about you know now that Frederick has made this public and we know how Frederick went at Lomberg in Game Two. Uh, I want to get to the Rangers Devils with you for a second, but what do you expect in this one now? Like Jim Montgomery's put the lines in the blender. We got that. Um, Allmark is a game time decision. Bergeron doesn't make the, uh, make the trip to Florida, but a couple of things seem to be front and center for the Boston Bruins. One, getting the win, obviously, but two, maybe getting a little payback here. Like, do we expect more nastiness tonight between these two? Uh, it can happen. There's no doubt that the temperature was certainly high in the previous game. Uh, I would expect though that Boston, is going to be a much more organized team than they were in the previous game. That's uh, They looked a little bit rattled to me, especially in the third period. It wasn't a Bruins-like performance. Yeah. I don't think they were very good in game one either. So I think the Bruins have to regroup. I think they have, for the first time this season, something to think about. Florida's bothering them. And I don't think the Bruins are surprised by it, especially when they are without Patrice Bergeron. But mm-hmm. I do think for the first time, I saw some concern, and that's not something that has happened to this Bruins team this season up until the last game. You know, Elliot was on just before you, Jonesy, and he brought up an interesting point, which is, you know, the Boston Bruins, as dynamic as they were this season, and what a season that was for the Boston Bruins, the one thing they didn't face was any real significant adversity. And you know how important that can be to a team come playoff time. If you haven't faced it, haven't gone through it, when it happens in the playoffs, that's the worst possible time to experience it as a team. Does it feel like this is the first bit, not just the loss in game two, but also the Bergeron situation, et cetera, flu bug, uh, which has gone through the team. Do you consider this Boston's first legit bit of adversity all season? A hundred percent. And Florida loves that type of problem for the Bruins because mm-hmm. 
they faced it last year. You know, they had an outstanding season themselves. Some players, of course, are no longer there, but the players that were added don't mind disrupting things. I mean, Matthew Kachuk's in his glory right now. Oh, yeah. You know, being, an un- being an underdog, uh, I thought he played a really disciplined game in game two. I, th- I think he gets it. Like, I think he understands when it's time to, you know, be the pest and when it's time to play hockey. And he did an outstanding job in that regard. That line with Verhage and Sam Bennett was oh. a key factor in their win. And Bennett's return can't be, you know, understated. He was outstanding in the game. I'll be blunt with you, Jonesy. I thought he was the best player on the ice. I, I really did, and, and I didn't have I didn't have expectations that high uh, with with Sam Bennett coming back. Now we've seen Sam Bennett, you know, sometimes in these big emotionally charged moments, kind of loses focus and loses cool, get a little too distracted. I, I, w- I was so impressed with how intense but focused and disciplined Sam Bennett was in Game Two. Jones, for me, he was the best player on the ice. Uh, I would agree with that. My, I thought he was in complete control. He did a great job in the face-off circle, an area where Florida actually won. And it was a game that was full of face-offs. I think there were 76 face-offs by the end of it, 27 in the first period. Mm-hmm. And that did not allow Boston to really get in a rhythm as well. So there was a lot of things that Florida did well. Obviously, they're going to have to do them even better in this game three now that they have the attention of this Bruins team. Fascinating. Um, Rangers and Devils. Uh, I know expectations were high. Certainly the Devils are playing at home in front of their fans. Um, but the Rangers and specifically the power play and specifically Chris Kreider uh, have done a real number on this young New Jersey Devils team that finally has made it into the postseason and are kind of learning a lesson here by a, a much more veteran New York Rangers squad I got to say, front and center, uh, four goals in two games, power play goals. Chris Kreider has been a force for the Rangers, period. Explain this one. Two blowouts so far. I know I put a lot of the accent on Kreider. Where do you put the accent on for the Rangers? Well, experience, number one. Um, I do think that they came out with a game plan. They executed it to perfection in game one, led by their third and fourth lines, and their power play with the Kreider two power play goals assisted by Fox. Fox ended up with four assists in the game, but Mm -hmm. the third line was extremely impressive in the way that they forced the Devils to have to play in their own zone. Uh, The Hedo line, Kako, uh, Lafreniere was a big factor. The fourth line was even more of a factor. While shorthanded, it was Tyler Mott and Goudreau getting the job done, blocking shots playing physically, winning the one-on-one puck battles. That carried forward throughout their, the entire game, and at even strength, they were a really effective line and played a lot. I thought Gerard Gallant did a great job in recognizing he had all four lines going. He used all four lines. Yeah. Tarasenko scored in the first period, only played 12 minutes, and in talking to Gallant the next day, he said he pulled Tarasenko aside and said, hey, Vladdy, I noticed uh, the minutes. I apologize. But he said, uh, you know, that was not because of your play. And Tarasenko said, well, don't talk to me about that. I just want to win. And mm-hmm. Gallant came away from that thinking 
now I know why uh, I knew he got this guy for multiple reasons, but that was a pretty good added bonus to yeah. know that he was that type of player as well. You know, it's um, it, it's fascinating. You're right about the way that uh, Gerard Gallant is running this bench uh, amongst all the forwards. And again, it's only two games, but nonetheless, here it is. There's only one player in single digits when it comes to ice time, and that's Jimmy VC averaging 9-11. Um, everybody else is in double digits, and no one is in the 20s. Dallas does this. Seattle does this. Boston does this and the way that Gerard Gallant ran his bench on the road and you've known Gerard Gallant long time as a player, as a coach, as a hockey person, that's really impressive the way that what, what Gallant's doing with his bench right now. Yeah, it really stood out to me, Jeff. And I think it just shows and speaks to the depth of this Rangers team. And then the thing that has to make you feel really good in watching that team was watching Patrick Kane perform last night. Yep. In game one, he was frustrated. You know, they won the game 5-1. to one. It didn't obviously affect his overall team play, but he didn't play well. And game two, we saw vintage Kane, which I think is something that I don't know how often we're going to see it in the playoffs because I don't think he's 100%. But to watch that was <clears throat> an absolute pleasure, mm-hmm. uh, knowing, you know, what he's put into his entire career and what he was able to do put on last night a little showtime yeah. back in action was a lot of fun to be in the building to watch. Uh, let, let me ask you about New Jersey here and specifically Vitek Vanacek. Uh, I don't want to pin all of this on the New Jersey goaltender, um, but he wasn't exactly the ghost of Terry Sawchuk uh, in those first couple of games. Do you go, do you make the bold move of going to Akira Schmid for game three or is that, or is that too risky if you're Lindy Ruff? There's risk there, Jeff. I, I, I probably would not, uh, based upon the failed changes that Lindy made going into game two. Mm. With Siegenthaler not being in the lineup, Brendan Smith going in, uh, Miles Wood being bumped up a couple, a couple of lines and, and still not being an effective player. In fact, hurting his team with that offensive zone face, or penalty that led to the power play goal by Kreider that gave the devil or gave the Rangers the lead at two to one about midway through the second period. Mm-hmm. I don't think the changes worked. Uh, Sharon Govich was fine, but was not really an effective player. Uh, so I would think that he would be more inclined to maybe get Siegenthaler back in the lineup and can continue to let Vanacek try to find his game. I, I would blame a lot of Vanacek's struggles in the latter part of last night's game on his team, I thought they looked rattled. Mm. I thought that their undisciplined play led to multiple prime scoring chances for the Rangers. And I thought that Vanacek was not the problem in game two. Game one, he struggled, no doubt about it. I thought mm. he was better in game two. And midway through that game, that was a 1-1 game, and Vanacek had a lot to do with that with some of the saves that he made. So I, w- I would go back with him. Okay, let me ask you in the uh, the couple of moments I have left with you, Jonesy, let me ask you about the Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes. And as I've described this thing after game two, this is a series where it seems nobody's happy. Everybody's grumpy. Everybody's angry. Even the team that's up to Cobb here, the Carolina Hurricanes, we all heard what Rod Brindamore had to say about Tara Vine and then the, uh, the Pajot slash and the hand, and, and subsequently he's down yet another player. Add that to the list of Max Pacioretty and Andrei Svechnikov. Um, does it not seem to you that in this series, 
everybody's angry. The Islanders are angry about power plays, and they're down 2-0. The the Mayfield-Martinook situation. Carolina's upset that they're down another player. Like, everybody just seems... Jonesy, everybody seems grumpy. And you know what hockey players and hockey people are like around playoff time. There's a whole lot of grumpy people around, but it's just extra grumpy in this series as the venue shifts. How would you describe this series? And does does, does grumpy describe it accurately? It, it does. And when grumpy becomes the focus, sometimes you'll find yourself out of the series in a hurry. So I think from the Islanders' perspective, it's about recognizing that you're at home. Uh, you have your first opportunity to play at UBS Arena in a playoff game. Yeah, You have a chance to get yourselves back in the series. And Islander teams have been predominantly focused, disciplined, smart, and an effect and effective power uh, playoff teams because of those things. Uh, when Barry Trotz was coaching them, you can be sure that's the way it was. Uh, they need to get back to that. They need to come out here with an, an extremely solid effort throughout mm. their lineup, including their goaltender. They have to play to their strength, which is defensive hockey, disciplined hockey, and stop whining and start playing. If they do, they'll mm-hmm. even this series. If they continue to look and try to make excuses, they'll be out of this series and they'll be out of the playoffs. For Carolina, it's simple. They have a chance to go up 3 nothing in the series. You know, they're missing players. They're probably not going to win the Stanley Cup because of it. But they have a chance to get through the first round. And yeah. then once you're through, you never know what's going to happen. So that's another team that should be happy they're up 2 nothing. should realize they have to play a lot better if they're going to go up 3 nothing. Mm-hmm. And it should make for a great game tonight. Uh, it but should. It's been, a, it's been weird. It's been a weird uh, first two games, that's for sure. It's been great so far, like all, all the hockey. And let, let me close on this one. What to you was the bigger comeback last night, Vegas on Winnipeg or Colorado on Seattle? Boy, that's a tough question. I was impressed by both of them, and I was more surprised by Colorado's being down 2 nothing. Yeah. I'm concerned about the Avalanche. They don't have the depth. They know they know what it took last year to win, and they know they don't have the same players in the lineup. They've got the superstars, but they don't have the guys that got them through some really difficult times like Landeskog and Kadri. Uh, those are players that were really important to them. So to dig in and find a way to win against a team that is going to bother them for the next few days and <laughs> whatever it takes, oh, yeah. it was a big win. <laughs> so I would say I would say Colorado, and, I, and I'm sure they're relieved by it, but they'll be focused and ready to go in game three. And they're, they're in for a fight to the end here to get through this series. That uh, Climate Pledge Arena is going to be insane for game three. I can't wait to see what those uh, what those fans do to say nothing of the whiteout in Winnipeg uh, when they face off against Vegas in their game three as well. Jonesy, I know you're super busy this week. Thanks for parking some time with me. I always appreciate it. Always value your insight. Um, and you're so accommodating as well. Jonesy, thanks so much for this. And enjoy the action tonight and through the weekend. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Great to catch up with you. There he is, uh, Keith Jones from the NHL on TNA. He's such a great, like, thorough pro. Jonesy on the call uh, is just music to uh, to a lot of people's ears, myself included. 
Um, and he's been busy. He's done, what did he do this week? He's done Rangers, Devils. He's done, well, tonight he's doing Islanders, Hurricanes. And he's done Bruins and Panthers, whether it's TV, whether it's radio, whether it's coming on my little show here in my little corner of the hockey universe. Uh, Jonesy's awesome. Uh, just outstanding. Uh, and that game, by the way, I haven't mentioned it. That's um, that Seattle-Colorado game. Like many of you, as Seattle grabbed the early 2-0 lead, quick show of hands, everybody said, uh-oh, right? Is this really going to happen? Is Seattle really going to do this to the Colorado Avalanche? Now, they came back and they won the whole thing, but in those two goals in 48 seconds in the second, and Devontae's with the uh, the inevitable game winner. That's, that game was fast, man. Like If you look at all of the series so far, we've seen teams play hard. We've seen teams play violently, high skill. Was that the fastest game we've seen so far in the playoffs? Game two, Seattle, Colorado? Sure seemed like that to me. And, you know, Elliot referenced it in the opening segment. When it comes to Vegas, frightening Mark Stone looks real good and real healthy. And that's danger for the Winnipeg Jets as they head back to Winnipeg for game three. Hitting the pause. Top of the hour break. When we come back, Derek Lalone, head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, analyst for Hockey Night in Canada. If you've seen any of his work, it's outstanding. Lalone, next. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Four games on the go around the NHL this evening. Big ones, Game 3s. Uh, the Hurricanes with a 2-0 series lead face off against the Islanders. Venue shifts, UBS. Uh, 7 o'clock Eastern, watch that on Sportsnet 1. The Bruins and the Panthers. No Bergeron, by the way. Linus Allmark, game time decision. Lions in a blender from Jim Montgomery as well. 7.30 Eastern on CBC Sports and Ontario East and Pacific. The Stars of the Wild get underway at 9.30 on Sportsnet 1. And the Oilers and Los Angeles Kings get acquainted one more time. 10 o'clock Eastern CBC and Sportsnet. I am uh, very pleased to be joined by someone who, as I mentioned in hour one, um, I think everybody on the panel hopes that he coaches for a very, very long time because when he is done, if that ever happens, he will take all of our jobs. He is uh, Derek Lalone. He is a Detroit Red Wings head coach and now analyst for Hockey Night in Canada. Derek, thanks so much for this. How are you today? I'm good, and I'm not so sure on that. Uh, the producer after day one <laughs> was like, you were amazing. The insight, you know, something you don't see. He goes, but we are in the entertainment business. <laughs> they were telling me I was a flat dud. And no. I'm like, no, I can't. But I'm like, I'm like, listen, I am a head coach. I don't know if I'll be busting chops with the boys as much, but uh, it's been a great experience so far. It's been pretty neat. So who, who's more annoying to sit next to, um, Kevin Bieksa or Elliot Friedman? I mean, I've got to sit next no. to Elliot on a, on, a, on a regular basis, and so I, I wouldn't be surprised if the answer is Elliot. Those two take care of themselves, uh, <laughs> literally, constant back and forth. And I mean, like, like Elliot, like he's, he's got a Superman punch in his resume like why do we talk like this and and even kevin's like i would never hit him then he's then he sat back he's like you know what but it is a face i'd love to punch so uh, those two it's a 
work in progress between those two. Well, listen, um, you're a, you're a delight to watch and and listen to like that the moment like when you were talking in in game one the Toronto Maple Leafs Tampa series and you talked about how um, how the the Tampa D gap and how they how they gap yeah. up quickly to to snuff like things like that and and now Derek and this and this is you know I, I think what people want from an analyst now I can't stop seeing it. You know, once yeah. you point it out, now I can't stop watching it. And for those that may not have seen it, I know we're um, you know, not able to, to back up with visuals here right now for people watching on Sportsnet 360. Um, but what is it specifically? And we'll get to the, the rest of the, the Tampa D here in a second. What is it specifically? You're on the bench. There is an assistant that they do to, to, to snuff out breakouts. Uh, well, they just they, they uh, are on top. And I just think and it's something I've tried to bring uh, to Detroit and we've had our best hockey a lot of teams defense if you will starts in the offense and that's something i've learned from john cooper and that staff and and you'll see when they're at their best and most teams are like this but you know obviously their team that has had a lot of success of late when they're at their best they're just on top of teams throughout and and i talk to my guys all the time in detroit the best compliment uh, we ever had was we won in Tampa, you know, Tampa won the Stanley Cup, uh, first Stanley Cup against the uh, Dallas Stars. Mm-hmm. And two players through the handshake almost said the identical thing. The whole series felt like you guys had seven guys on the ice. Mm-hmm. And I, I bring that up to my guys. Like, that's when we're at our best. And, and, I, and, and you know, you can see it. It's just it's trusting being on top. It's, it's trusting gapping. And I think that dictates a lot of the game. And, and you know, it's just it's amazing just watching those two games, how Tampa was that team in game one, and then Toronto uh, was that, that um, team in game two. And, you know, I am I was fortunate enough to win a couple Stanley Cups with Tampa. I'm the head coach of Detroit Red Wings. I'm no different than you. When this series starts, I'm, I was like a fan too. I'm intrigued. Mm. I, I can't wait to watch this. That series... In Tampa, we went through 13 straight series. We won 11 straight. And even though that was a first-round series last year, the energy of that series was, um, was was different level. And I'm not taking away anything. Man, we won a Eastern Conference two times, Stanley Cup. We've been Stanley Cup three times in a row. But that series, just the electricity and the vibe of that series, and I know it's probably just you know Toronto, the hockey universe, where the Maple Leafs are, the type of team, you know, two top teams. That that series just had a different energy to it. I think this is no different this year. You know, I I, I look at um I look at that first game and like right away, like Tampa's out to a, to a lead quick. Belmar scores quick. Bam, it's one nothing. Sorelli scores two nothing, and then Kucherov makes a three before the buzz. And it, it seemed as if. Like right away, the Tampa Bay Lightning snuffed out any type of momentum that that crowd was going to give Toronto. But having said that, it felt like, and I'm not sure if it felt like this for you, but the crowd in Toronto seemed as nervous as they were excited. And that's just the weight of history on this team. And you saw that in the first period of game one. And, you know, normally, and we hear coaches talk about this all the time, we're on the road, we just need to withstand the first 10 minutes because the building's going to be hot, there's going to be tons of energy, house on fire. We just need to get this game to the point where the game settles and then we can play. But it never got to that point because Tampa was all over them and not only were the Maple Leafs nervous, but I think the fans kind of went along with it too. 
Like there was this nervous energy that seemed to be in the building. Like you're watching this thing and and you've been on that Tampa bench. You've coached against Toronto uh, with John Cooper. You've been in that building. Is that an accurate snapshot in your estimation? Yes, I I believe that is real. Uh, I think that's just the emotions of an extremely intense fan base and a little scar tissue there. I certainly understand that. Now, with that said, and this isn't coach talk, this, this, this is not the same Toronto team. I've watched this team evolve over three, four years. I'm extremely impressed with Sheldon and what he's done and his staff have done. And I, I know Sheldon. I'm not a buddy of Sheldon's. But I've watched this team grow. And just we, it, feels, it feels like almost what we went through in Tampa, what we're going to go through in Detroit, just managing your game properly, taking risk out of your game, and and I'm telling you, they, they've nailed it. Will they win the series? I don't know. Are mm-hmm. they ready to win? Absolutely. Uh, and I and I mean that. And I I've just I've just been impressed. I mean I've mentioned it on air. We played Toronto the first time this year. We played four times. The first time we played them was back in November. And they came in, no Brody, uh, no Riley. I mean, they had you know four of the six D that played in the first two games went with them. They had American Hockey League decor, and they managed their game so well. Marner scored, Matthew scored, and they just they didn't turn the puck over. Uh, they got above. They were they were managing shift links. Um, the average turnover in the NHL for a game is about 32. And if you get anywhere in that mid twenties, you're, you're usually going to be pretty good. And that's the Detroit Red Wings. That's most teams in the league. Mm-hmm. And they had like 17, 18 that night. I left that game frustrated uh, because it felt like a missed opportunity for us in the Red Wings. But I'm like this, you know, this team is ready to win and they've matured and it's a credit to Sheldon and his staff. You know, I, I'm so curious about, and this is why I love talking to coaches. Um, I, I'm endlessly fascinated with something that Elliot and I have been talking about on the podcast for a couple of years now. And this is the idea. And I know it sounds counterintuitive to anyone who hears it, but it, it really is a thing amongst athletes. And that is the fear of winning. We all think that that's counterintuitive. And you talked about, you know, is this team ready to win yet? Um, have you seen in the past uh, this Toronto Maple Leafs team, and you've coached against them, have a fear of winning in your estimation? Yeah, yeah. They, I, I saw it against um, Columbus uh, in the bubble. I saw it against uh, Montreal. There was, there was a nervousness about them. But I'm telling you, this is a different team. Even going back to our series, I say our because I was with Tampa last year when mm-hmm. Tampa played uh, Toronto. They were they 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 were ready to win that series, and, and everyone looks at Game Seven and Vassy stealing that game. People forget in Game Six, uh, we tied the game in the third on a five-on-three, and they proceeded to have us on our heels for the rest of the period and all through overtime. I mean, literally, chances were eight, nine, ten to one, and to me, that's a team that was not scared of winning. That team was a team going after it and ready mm-hmm. to win. And we had a superstar make a play in overtime. We felt fortunate, and we were able to win Game Seven. It's just as a as a coach, it, it kind of pains me how how hard uh, this fan base is at times on Sheldon and his staff and. 
And, you know, I go an example and back in Tampa. We, we got smoked in the first round by Columbus. And it was a story, and it was real. It hurt, but it just felt like it was a story for two days, and then the media was on to the Bucks or the Rays. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, this, and it was, and I think we won because of that. You know, Stephen Stamkos took it hard. He's a competitor. He's personal, but he could get away from it in two to three days. He could go mm. to the grocery store. He could go have a nice dinner with his wife, and not feel, you know, the what the the city's feeling. I just think it's a reality. And even Toronto last year, I mean, you tell me, like, we went to the Stanley Cup Finals. We won 11 straight series in Tampa. You know, Toronto probably beats 26, 27, 28 other teams in the league in the first round. And it just happened to be us. And this year may not be any different. I still think the way Toronto's built, the way they play, uh, I still think they beat 25, 26, 27 teams in the league. Um, It's just the reality. I understand it, but I just... As a coach, maybe I'm a little sensitive to it, but I think it's a little unfair. And, again, I, I know I sound repetitive here. Uh, this is real. Sheldon Keefe and his staff have nailed it. They've done a pretty darn good job the last few years. So what what I've equated it to, it's, it's a really good point that you bring up. The thing that I've equated it to, I'm a big baseball fan, and I've uh, been a Blue Jays fan my whole life. Once upon a time, as a, a 16-year-old me used to sell – uh, hot dogs and jumbo cokes at, at Exhibition Stadium was my first real job, and I I just took the job so I could watch baseball games all summer. But uh, I look at it like that Blue Jays that that developing Blue Jays team that were stuck in the division of death. No matter what they yeah. did, they were in a division with the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. Good luck, Barfield, Bell, Mosby, all of them can do whatever you want. You know, it didn't matter because at the end of it. Boston and New York were just better. And I've looked at this Maple Leafs team and I've said, really good team. To your point, Derek, like they'll, they'll beat a lot of other teams, but they're stuck in this division with Tampa and Boston. And that's a killer, an absolute killer for this team. And I think it's real. Like I signed up for the Detroit Red Wings and, uh, and please, Steve made those moves at the deadline. We were literally in a playoff spot and, we had just went on a West Coast swing where we won seven of eight, and no disrespect to the West, that's they're deep as the Stanley Cup champ could come out of there again. But we went like fifteen and eight versus the West this year. Uh, but then we come back and we're playing Toronto four times, Boston three times. It's but the the reality is, I think it's a, an honor and a, and a pleasure being in this division because if you're ever going to get to where you need to be in this league. Mm you got to battle this now. And, and I think it's a, it's, it feels like a little bit cursed right now for the Detroit Red Wings. And obviously we just talked about the example of Tampa being in this division, but it's pushed us to, to get to another level to compete in it. So uh, when you get there, you won't be fooling anyone. I think Toronto's in the midst of it. And that's somewhere that's an organization, Detroit, we want to be in two to three to four to five years. Let me ask you about Andre Vasilevsky. I'm I'm really curious about something because at the end of the second period yesterday, I really wondered. I know the streak and 82 games going in and, and all of that with Vasilevsky, but I really wondered if he was gonna if they were gonna make a goalie change for the third. You know, bigger picture, eyes on the prize, all of it. This game's gotten away from us. Let's look to let's look to game three. But we all know how much of a competitor Vasilevsky is, and he's not coming out of the game. Can you see a scenario? where John Cooper goes to Vasilevsky and says, we're, we're, we're taking you out. 
I understand how proud you are. You want to play every minute of every game and you have this streak going and that's awesome. But can you see a scenario where the organization says it's time to come out of this game? Not right now and not within this window. And, and I've been in those meetings. I've been in those conversations. That happened to us a handful of times on both ends. Uh, there's times we had a comfortable lead. And, again, the playoffs, this rarely happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've been on the other end where it got away from us. And, but I also, it speaks of two things. One, the unbelievable competitor Andre Vasilevsky is, and I'm telling you, it's unmatched. Uh, um, I probably had an appreciation coaching him, but even getting away from him and being in the league from a different perspective, I probably didn't appreciate how unbelievable it was. Uh, so that's one, and I think there's some truth. So I think Coop even mentioned it in his pressure. He brought it up, and the goalie quickly shot it down. But it also mm-hmm. speaks of the world-class partnership coach John Cooper is. This is why I think he is the best coach in the world right now. He just understands he has an uncanny ability to work as a relationship or a partnership with his stars and his group, but at the same time, he's fully in charge and holds them accountable. That's just his feel. And I think, you know, you can read between the lines this pressure last night. There's mm-hmm. no doubt he went in there and suggested it, and but gave it probably the option to Bassey. And for some people, they're like, it's crazy. You're the coach, you make decision, but this is why Bassey is who he is. This is why John Cooper is who he is. And it's, I think people, even the group last night, we brought it up between periods, and he's like, well, with Paul up, and we just, I think everyone just assumed they would. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I, I just, you have to trust me. I don't think he'll come out just because of who he is in the big picture. And then sure enough, he did not. Yeah, I, 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 I am, I'm partially surprised and partially not because I still think in, in quote-unquote normal situations, he comes out. But this is Andre Vasilevsky. This is a, a completely different beast. Um, a, a hypothetical question for you, and I was throwing this around with Elliot in the first in the in the first hour of the show. Um, with Hedman out, the one player I look at right now, because listen, we understand the realities of what the salary cap brings and the decisions that Julian Brisebois had to make at the end of every season. We all understand this. This is all business. The one player that I look at and I say, man, it would have been different last night if this player didn't move on to another town and another team, and that's Ryan McDonough. I looked at the game and I'm saying things would be different if Ryan McDonough were still in that lineup. Agree, disagree? 100%. And obviously I I had the pleasure of coaching uh, Ryan there and uh, me running the penalty kill there. He was almost an assistant coach on the penalty kill, just the value. Like any question I had, I'd go for it through him. I actually went through him on many adjustments and things we did on the penalty kill. That's real, and that's the reality of the cap. And you even look at the series last year, you know, Tampa would roll out McDonough and Chernak shutdown line. Yep. Uh, then you had um, Hedman and Ruda, who are both, one feels like he's eight foot seven, the other guy's <laughs> a little bit three, but they had chemistry, they were yeah. good. Yeah. And then, then you had Sergachev, and then even a uh, Bogosian or foot. And then Cherney would even maybe slip into the top four when you had to. You 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 never got exposed, and you never got exposed anywhere. You, you didn't get exposed on the road on matchups, and obviously you could dictate at home. Mm-hmm. It was such a luxury 
and now you can just see the reality. Obviously, it's a lot different with Hedman and, and Chernak out, but uh, Sheldon's done a good job, and he will do a good job, and he has the luxury of having three or four to five world-class players. He will expose that, and he'll hunt that down, and that is a huge part of this series. And as it goes on, it'll be very interesting to watch. Uh, hopefully, they get Hedman back. Hopefully, they get Chernick back, but that's the reality of the cap. But, yes, Ryan yep. McDonough was a huge part of um, – if not one of the bigger, most important cogs and those uh, back-to-back cups and those three runs to the Santa Cup Finals. Absolutely. Um, listen, Derek, um, you've been very generous with your time. You always are. Uh, thanks so much for this. Uh, enjoy television, man. It's, uh, it seems made for you. You're doing a great job. Uh, you're a delight to watch. Learn a ton watching you in the intermissions. Uh, I know coaching is your calling, and you want to get the Red Wings to the playoffs as soon as possible. But uh, we're really enjoying watching you on television on on Hockey Night in Canada. Continued success. Thanks so much for this. Uh, I appreciate that. And I put the makeup lady to the test. She's, I mean, I put her to her limits. <laughs> Trust me, she does wonders with me too on Saturday nights. Uh, I, I know for, from whereof you speak. Uh, Derek, thanks as always. All right, thank you. Derek Lalone is the head coach of the Detroit Red Wings um, and analyst now for uh, Hockey Night in Canada on the uh, on the intermissions, doing a, just doing a tremendous job. Uh, uh, more coaches, uh, I get it. Um, he's he's fantastic, and listen, um, he knows his Tampa Bay Lightning team intimately. Uh, knows the players, uh, knows the personnel, knows the tendencies, knows how they play, and listening and watching him break down Tampa's game, like even that simple thing about gap that I mentioned off the, uh, the top of the interview. Now I see it everywhere. It's kind of like, you know, there was uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins when they won their back-to-back Stanley Cups against uh, the San Jose Sharks and the Nashville Predators, Mike Sullivan. And there was something very specific um, that one person from the Penguins uh, mentioned to me, and afterwards I couldn't stop seeing it. And actually, I think it ended up being that this one specific play uh, turned into the game-winning goal, I, the Stanley Cup winning goal, I think Hornquist might have been involved in it. Anyhow, what the Penguins would do, and this goes back to what Derek was talking about, about, you know, gapping and trusting, gapping and trusting, gapping and trusting. The one thing the Pittsburgh Penguins would do consistently, and they did it against everybody, and once you, uh, w- once you notice it, you can't stop seeing it. Um, when the other team would start their breakout, the defense wouldn't retreat. As a matter of fact, the defenseman would drop down on the side that the puck was exiting, would drop down as the winger regrouped into the neutral zone. And it wasn't even the defenseman's job to snuff out the breakout as much as it was just to get in the way. Just to get in the way, slow it down, and disrupt it even just a little bit, which gave that winger a chance to regroup and spin it back the other way. And the Penguins did this relentlessly. And this was, um, of course, outside of, you know, Chris Letang, this was a very unheralded defense, right? This wasn't a defense that you looked at and said, okay, well, you know, these two guys have won five Norris trophies between them, and these two guys are going to the Hockey Hall of Fame. This was Ron Hainsey and Trevor Daly. No disrespect, legit NHLers, very good players. Um, but it wasn't the murderer's row of defensemen. But the way that they played, just disrupting, slowing down, getting in the way of the uh, the uh, the breakouts was what made that Pittsburgh Penguin squad. Now, I know it helps when you have Crosby, and I know it helps when you have Malkin, et cetera. And I get all that. We all do. But, you know, watching Lalone point out in game one just exactly how Tampa gaps 
on the breakout, and they did it in game one perfectly, to a T. Now you can't stop seeing it. We'll see what happens in game three. But uh, two blowouts kind of leave you saying, I have no idea what's going to happen in game three. I maybe have a better idea if I know who's in and who's out, most notably Victor Hedman, because this team looks dramatically different without Victor Hedman. You know, I think the the only other player, and again, this is no disrespect to Stamkos, Kucherov, Point, etc., go through all of them, Sorelli. There are two players that it seems very much like Tampa cannot afford to lose. Andre Vasilevsky, future Hall of Famer, one of the best goaltenders of this or any other generation. That's an obvious one. The other one is Victor Hedman. Look at that. Look at Tampa's own zone last night. You might as well have, have just, you know, laid over um, Sweet Georgia Brown when the Toronto Maple Leafs were firing the puck around and buzzing around the offensive zone and doing what seemed whatever they wanted to in the offensive zone. That was Harlem Globetrotter stuff. They stayed in the zone and did what they want wanted with the puck, specifically on the cycle. And those Red Wings defenders, without Hedman, without Cernak, had no idea what to do. I shouldn't say that. They have an idea what to do. It's just hard when you're playing a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's just hard. So if there's no Hedman, it's a totally different complexion. It's a totally different Tampa Bay Lightning team. That, to me, is the ultimate one. So we'll see. We'll follow this game by game. And, uh, and and find out who's in and who's out. And if it's Hedman, look out. Um, also, a couple of things. I'm going to bring Maddie Marchese in here in a couple of moments. We'll go over the things that we missed uh, from the last, maybe last night, maybe the last couple of days. Highlights, things we're looking forward to. Um, I really enjoy the hockey. And now, the New Jersey, New York Rangers series hasn't exactly been great. This has been the New York Rangers essentially owning the New Jersey Devils. Like as far as the series goes, that's probably been the series that unless you're a Rangers fan or you're just happy and you're a New Jersey Devils fan, just happy that your team is in, although that never happens. I know fans say, oh, I'd just be happy if they made it in. Yeah, that's a lie. Because once they get in, there's, the, there's expectation and there's desire. Um, so that series hasn't you know, really delivered because both games have been, you know, the Rangers just dominating New Jersey. Five to one outcomes. You go on the power play. Chris Kreider stands in front of the net and he scores two goals. That's been the story from games one and two. But the other series have been awesome. You know, that, I'll tell you, that Vegas Winnipeg, that Vegas Winnipeg series, if you like a physical brand of hockey, if you like it rough, that is the series for you. Now, not only is it rough, but it's also highly skilled and there's some great net minding. It's going to be really tough and who knows, there'll be, there'll be challengers, but it's going to be really tough for any goaltender out there to come up with a better save, right? A better save than Connor Hallibuck on Chandler Stevenson last night. The margin of error is so slim. He catches the puck right on the goal line. Look at all the replay. Look at all the angles. He's catching that thing right on the goal line. Everyone believes this thing's going in. I did. If you watched it, you probably did too. I know Chandler Stevenson thought this thing was in. A lot of people at T-Mobile wanted that thing to be in, and it kind of looked in real time like, oh, yeah, that thing's in. And you look at the poise and the athleticism of Connor Hellebuck making that save and keeping that out. And then... 
what, a couple of minutes later, maybe? Point blank slap shot in the head from Jack Eichel. And it catches him right over, like just above, just above his eye on the left side. And he's cut. And he's going. Now, I was always told, this is in a previous lifetime when I covered professional wrestling as a living, that a lot of the old wrestlers would, when they wanted to bleed, they would, this is pre-Razor Blade era, they would punch downwards right above the eye because that bone is apparently, someone's going to correct me on this, that bone is apparently the sharpest bone in the body. And that's exactly where Connor Hellebuck got that shot. It's a disaster for goaltenders. It sucks. And you saw him when he started to, you know, to wipe around the eye, the blood comes down and the trainer has to get out and shut this thing down quick and stop the bleeding. And I got to give it to our crew because right away, as soon as you saw Connor Hallibuck and the blood coming down the left side of the eye, they cut to a shot of Morgan Barron on the bench in the full birdcage and you can see, you know, part of the 75 stitches that he got. And he's become a legend, a folk legend in Winnipeg. They love him there. Uh, I just thought that that was a real nice symmetry. But Cutter Hallibuck was excellent. But as that game went on and hit after hit after hit, and I mentioned 73 for the Jets, 64 for Vegas, hit after hit after hits. And Chandler Stevenson scores a 3-2 go-ahead goal. And then Mark Stone scores a pair as well to salt this thing away. 5-2 is the final score. You say to yourself, we got a real series. Winnipeg had their way with Vegas in game one. We talked about how Tampa had their way with Toronto in game one. There's that nervousness. Like there was nervousness around the Vegas Golden Knights in game one that we hadn't seen from them for maybe ever. Maybe ever. It looked like a different Vegas team. Last night they played. And last night Mark Stone really played. I made this point on the podcast, and I'll make it again right now. Nobody, for my money, celebrates a goal better than Mark Stone. It's almost like he doesn't know what to do with himself. Limbs flailing, big smile, hair all over the place. It's incredible. It's incredible to watch. To me, it's one of the best things about the playoffs is watching Mark Stone celebrate goals, and we got it twice yesterday. 5-2 is the final. I can't wait for game three in this series. It's high skill. It's high pace. A lot of stars. Some great goaltending. And it is nasty between these two teams. Let's hit a break. Matt Marchese pops by here in a couple of moments. A little preview of the weekend that is on the horizon. Big night tonight around. Like This is such a great week for hockey. Um, And a look back at what we uh, already saw and uh, already experienced. Matt Marchese in a moment, um, our fill-in host, future host probably of this time slide. Who's kidding who? Um, Matt Marchese joins me in moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now, Merrick Show, or is it the Marchese Experience? Continues. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So, uh, Matt Marchese. Yes, sir. I had to silence my phone, sorry. Guess what we uh, lost yesterday? Oh, we lost. uh, These were so important, Jeff. I don't know how we're going to move on without them. 
blue check marks. I I tweeted RIP to my check mark, my blue check mark. Did you? I, I had it for like a year. Congrats. Yeah, I thought I had made it. You know how many more follows I got because I had a blue check mark? Like, I don't think there's any other Matt Marchese that's in this business, but apparently the check mark means something. I don't know. People are the, weird. Uh, like, I, I didn't get I guess, are you going to do something about it? Are you going to get No, I'm going to go sort my, for gonna sort my sock drawer out. That's about yeah. how much I care about this. But where it is going to suck is around trade deadline time. <laughs> like, just for hockey purposes. It's gonna be it's it's gonna be fridge <laughs> HNIC that tweets it out. Heads up, everybody. Jeff Mark your fake stories and your fake rumors and your tra- anyway. But uh yeah, that's the thing. Uh what's happening with New Jersey Devils? Oh, they're gonna get on the ice today or they're just gonna get screamed at for uh, an hour. I'm not quite sure, but uh this was a tweet from Mike Morialli from NHL.com. Yep. And yep. this was thirty nine minutes ago, and it says less than five yep. minutes to go before the start of practice here in Newark. And still eerily quiet. Bottles are out, but no one yet to the ice can only hear the hum of the lights inside the practice facility. Then, 15 minutes later, um, or about 17 minutes later, Mike tweeted, we're 15 minutes in, still humming. Still humming. And uh, uh, Ryan Novozinski, who is uh, now a friend of the show. Sure is. um, Because he dropped a great reference while he was on here. He did uh, The dude. um, Dude abides. As of... Five minutes ago, he is doing an ask me anything while he waits. So they're still not on the ice. I don't know what you do at airports when you're bored and you don't have a book or a magazine. Well, uh, AMA. Apparently you, do it at, apparently you do it at practice. Well, now you won't be able to do it because you don't have a blue check mark. So nobody's going to know that it's you. <laughs> I used to really be somebody in this oh. industry, Maddie. I'm gonna I'm gonna lose so many followers, Jeff. Not that I have a lot to begin with, but that's all right. You'll recover. You're, I'm sure I'll live. Your life will be okay. I'm sure I'll live. First world problems. Um, how's the hockey been for you? Oh man, so it's because it's been so nasty. I love it. Yeah, because we're fine. What was a better fight, Shen and Janot or McLeod Schneider? McLeod Schneider was a better fight. You liked it better, eh? Mm-hmm. Although those are two massive human beings fighting. In Shen and Jano. Like Jano is not. And by the way, and I know I mentioned this before to you off the air, but can people stop thinking that they're tougher than the guy that's in the box that just went shot for shot with Luke Shen? The guy in the yellow shirt who's like, come get me. Yeah, really? That pane of glass that's in between you? Come on. Um, oh, I hate it. Whenever that happens, we always think of Chris Falcone. Yes. You know, I spent a weekend with him. Yeah, that was when. Like, everything was paid for, right? The nicest guy in the world. Family has a construction business. Greatest guy of, in the world. Like, cor- super fan. Of course they have a construction <laughs> business. Of course. And uh, super guy. Awesome. And he's going to live in infamy forever because he's forever going to be on that video of falling in the penalty box with Taidomi, which is like falling into the lion's den at the zoo. Good yeah, that luck. Was a bad like, that's idea. a bad idea. He didn't intend... I'm sure just he didn't weak think. glass and just oh, weak glass and he, and he fell in. But honestly, it could not have been the could not have been a nicer guy. And I know that he's worked out his thing with Ty. <laughs> yeah, like years and years and years later, that video is going to live in infamy. A great dude, Philly Chris Falcone. He took me everywhere. Me and my ex producer Jeff Domet, who's uh, now with the Athletic, took us why everywhere. Do you, why do these all these producers get to travel? I'm stuck here. It was a different time, Matty, when producers were valued in the industry and still, and, and then. That's why I haven't touched the Stanley Cup. I'm still stunned at that. I'm surprised we let you in that door. So Lance said that we've definitely had the cup in here. It may have been a day that I was off, but I did not get a picture. Or Lance, have you, have you touched the cup? Like, you've yeah, been around yeah. the thing, right? Yeah. 
So, okay, so here's what may have happened. This may have been earlier in my career where I said, okay. I'm not touching the Stanley Cup. I'm not taking a picture with it. You were because, that guy. Yeah, but I'm not anymore. It was in this studio, Lance? Like For on sure. this table? It was probably on this table. You dope. Yeah, now I look back on it like, what an idiot. Not anymore. Now I'm like, <laughs> I'll carry that thing around the building. I'll do laps with the Stanley Cup if I have to. I um, and I I I, I showed this uh this picture to Mike uh, Bolt this morning at BT. Um, when I was this would have been 2010. So my first son, our first child, uh, Claire and I, our first son TJ was born, uh, June 27th, and I get a phone call from. Uh, from Nick Boynton. Nobleton's Finest. Nobleton's Finest. Well, you'll love this story. Yeah, I grew up in Nobleton. So, Nobleton's Finest, Nick Boynton, who's playing on the Hawks that year, and they win the Stanley Cup. I think Boynton might have been on the ice when Kane scored the goal, too. Maybe, yeah. Uh, he didn't play all of the games in that no, playoff. No, he didn't. I think no, he played he did. three or... Did he play three or four? Or did he play ten? Anyway, regardless. Oh, he had a hor- He had a hor- I mean, That was a great one for him, because that was the season where he was playing with Anaheim, and Randy Carlisle, after one practice, called him over and said, we're sending you down, and you're never playing in the NHL again. Get off the ice. He went from that. You remember he got picked up at yeah. deadline by the Hawks? Depth, depth defenseman? He went from that to winning the Stanley Cup. Three games. What's that? Played three games in the cup Played. final. Or in the in the playoffs. In the playoffs. But he was in the final. And uh, ended up winning the Stanley Cup. Anyway... He, uh, he called me from the from the parade, I think it was. was. Like, look, I got my day with the cup. It's July 9th. I'm like, oh, it's my birthday. And we got, we got a, two year, a, a two-week-old kid. Like, I'd love to. I think he's like, bring him. Come on. So we got to bring him. Right? <laughs> uh, Boynton Brothers Sod Farms. Shout out. I don't know Nobleton. if they're still operating. Are they not? I don't know. His dad. So his dad was an assistant coach. I played with his brother growing up. He so did, his eh? brother Julian is a year older than me. Yeah. And I played a year up with with him and neil his father yeah. was our assistant coach so i so i uh, so i get there my wife and i and uh we're with tj who's two weeks old so we're not gonna stay long we're gonna stay for like half an yeah. hour maybe an hour and this is before like the party so like the lights are still on right like, oh and those those okay. parties at that oh, sod yeah, farm no, are no, no. legendary yeah <laughs> but you know god's flashlight is still on it's still light out there so it's like not the debauchery yet so uh and nikki's like hey man put him in the cup tj two weeks old and I'm like, uh, do I do it? He's like, yeah, come on, go for it. So we got pictures of me putting TJ That's in the amazing. cup. And I've had buddies of mine say, well, you jinxed them now. <laughs> you buy that? Pish posh. No, I don't buy you that. Care? I'm, I used to be very superstitious. Yeah. In the words of Michael Scott from The Office, now I'm, I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. Mm. But I used to be like very much same routine when I played and. All that kind of stuff. Don't step on the logo in the room. Were you that guy too? I used to be, but again, like, I just don't like a sweater on the ground. That is no bueno. Don't like that. By the way, they're still not on the ice in New Jersey. (laughs) 42 minutes, bud. What's Lindy doing? I've never been yelled at for 42 straight minutes, but I can't imagine it's very good. But anyway, no, I'm, I don't. And you worked on primetime sports. That's the, yeah, I've, I've been, Spoken to a couple okay, times. Okay, that was very good. And I've heard, I've, I heard Bob speak to a couple people too. Um, but no, the whole superstition thing, like I get it. I understand it. The logo thing in the room is just weird. If you don't want people to walk on it. Don't put it there. Put it somewhere Put else. it on the wall. Nobody's walking on the wall. Spider-Man ain't coming through that door. Do you see a difference between that and the logo at center ice? Players skate on that. Well, I mean, yeah, people will. Oh. 
yes, people will see a difference in that. But again, why are you putting it on the floor? If you like, the floor is meant to be stepped on. <laughs> Can't believe that's we're what a, this conversation. That's what a floor is. Can't believe we're having this conversation. But that's the ridiculousness of hockey, though. No, I know. I get it. It's dumb. It's goofy. Uh, what series is uh, spicing your chili? Obviously, being the local team, the Leafs and the Lightning has been very intriguing because I have no idea what to expect in Game Three. But yeah. the one that's really caught my attention is the Rangers and Devils. Why? Well, that's the one to me that's like, ugh. Only because it's been blowouts. Yes, and and that's why. Because I thought that it was going to be a lot closer. And what it has told me is two things: one, the Rangers are so good, like top to bottom. When you look at that team. And I said it when they made the acquisitions of Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko. They are not the second best team in the East. They are one A, one B with Boston. Whoa, that, whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah, really? Yeah, you believe that? Yes, I think the Rangers. Trust me, I think the Rangers are good too. I don't know that I'm putting them up that high. Yes, and I'll tell you why. Okay, their top nine forwards are as good as the Bruins. So that's your first part. Mm-hmm. The second part is that defensive group is really good. Like if you if you look at I don't know that it's Bruins it's good it's not like dude like it's okay but McAvoy he, yes Lindholm and here's the difference Orlov yeah Grizzly like, okay that's so, Murderer's Row man okay fine but then there's the difference in net Linus Allmark had a great regular season yep show me in the playoffs. I know. Listen, I and know. Igor Shosturkin is. I the still man. think Igor Shosturkin is a better goaltender than Linus Allmark. I will. I will definitely give you that. But I will. I will take Boston's blue line over the Rangers all day. Sure, but I would. I say the forwards are pretty even. They're close. Really close. You could make the argument they're better. Okay. Um, the D. I'll give you Boston's. The goaltending, I think, is wildly in favor of the New York Rangers. So why are you so in love with this series? Because it's tilted rink. Like, this is on... Put it this way. That was so awful. If you're the New Jersey Devils, you know what was awful? If you're the Devils? Not just... Have you just... Have you been stomped for two games by the Rangers? Yep. In your building. In your building. But did you see the closing seconds last night of the game? Mm -hmm. A lot of People in Rangers jerseys, standing ovation to the Rangers at the Prudential Center. So I know Rangers fans travel. I get it. And right there, like, there's that rivalry. I got it. There was a whole lot of blue in that building. And a standing ovation in the visitor's rink for your team at the end of a game. It's it's bleep and embarrassing, Jeff. But Johnny from Slapshot. (laughs) But my thing is is that I didn't think that this series was going to be so lopsided. I think what it's proven really, eh? yeah. I think what it's proven to us is that the Devils A not ready for primetime, B what do we talk about the whole season? Is the goaltending going to be good enough? Are they going to be tough enough? And the answer to both of those questions is yeah. no. Hey, quick. Yes. Quick. Yes. Uh our good buddy Boomer mm-hmm. from NHL Network Radio. You were right. Boynton and Campbell were D on the ice for the Kane. Look winner. at that. Boomer. Boomer Thanks, knows. Boomer. Boomer knows. Who I still don't Boomer know how knows. his name is not the commissioner, but I digress. Boomer's awesome. Um, but that's that's why, to me, it's so intriguing. And it's not because of a, a of a of the play in the series. It's just how lopsided it's been. I really thought that yeah. you got to think the Devils are going to get a split at home. To me, this is just about the playing time. 
I know that's not what Lindy Ruff is saying to them in the sure. dressing room right now. I are agree. They, are they still going, by the way? Are they still... Uh, gonna ch- let's, ch- let's check. Let's check. Want to refresh? <laughs> Mike Morreale and Ryan Novozinski are doing uh, doing yeoman's work here. Um, live, live, live tweeting. The door is closed. The New Jersey room. Luke Hughes has made an appearance as oh. of two minutes ago. 47 minutes. So, well, that'd so be 45. 45, 45 minutes. minutes. Imagine I, being 45 minutes late for something. I, I look at the Devils and I say, this is about, okay, the first experience in the playoffs, and you have the experience now of knowing what 82 games feels like, and you know what 83 and 84 games feel like. Yeah. And I mean, not- this is just about, like, they're nowhere close to their to getting anywhere near the top of their winning cycle. Who do they remind At you of, Jeffrey? The Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. Don't they? Yeah. Young team, lots of promise, high picks, all of it. Somebody's going to make a joke about American players. Rebuilt team. Uh, they'll make the obvious joke about Swiss players as well. They're so neutral. <laughs> um, no, but I I agree. Like, I think, and we talked about it in the open, the emphasis on physicality with some of these playoff teams, I think is what New Jersey's going to learn from here. Well, and listen, that's why that was part of the attractiveness of Timo Meyer. Sure. Like they wanted But it's someone, one guy. They want I know. I know you're not going to get everything that you want at one trade deadline. No. Like Tom Fitzgerald's not going to load his basket with cuz those players just aren't available for the prices that I'm sure Tom Fitzgerald wanted to pay considering where his team was at. But this like, is a process. You're going to build this team and it's a process team. I I oh, it's a process. They absolutely team. are. I I do wonder though and I had this thought like, they've got some really good, skilled forwards. But if they're going to sign Timo Meyer long-term, which I anticipate that they are... It's going to cost them Igor Sharangovich. And you want to sign Jesper Bratt, too. Yegor, I don't know how you're going to fit in Sharangovich. That wasn't the guy that I was wondering about, Jeff. Who are you thinking of? I wonder about Dawson Mercer. I Not really, a chance. But only, only because... Put the pipe down. Only because... I've been accused of worse. Only because... Yeah. Especially the way that he finished the, the regular season, like hot as a pistol. I wonder if they try and strike while the iron's hot to really bring in a top-notch player. He could be. He could be. A top-notch he player. He could be. He could be. And he's versatile. I know. He's a winger. Which he's means that other people. He's a top six guy. Which is he's what. cost control. Which is what other people covet. I don't know, man. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I had that thought. <laughs> I had that thought, and I went, hmm, because what's no Dawson way. Mercer going to cost you? No chance. Can you afford to have – I mean, you're you're back in the Leafs conundrum now. You're going to pay all these young forwards, and then what do you do with the rest of your roster? Because they still got Dougie Hamilton on a nice ticket. Unlike the Maple Leafs roster. Now, the Maple Leafs roster was constructed based on the idea that the salary cap was going up. And then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And the salary cap stopped going up. But we're, still, we go- we're in an era still where the salary cap is going to go up. Now, this season is probably only going to be the $1 million. But then there's going to be a major jump. And that's going to continue as soon as the escrow is paid off from the players. Yeah, I just... You know it's going to leap. It's going to be fine. No, it's going to be Sharon Govich. Everybody tells me it's going to be fine, Jeff. <laughs> You're a gambling guy. I'm not, but let's go. I'll take Sharon Govich. You're taking Mercer. Yeah, but I got to get odds, though. <laughs> oh, you're not so You good. said I'm a gambling man. I'm not. I'm also oh, not a, an idiot. Wow. Although. Uh, you got uh, you got a quick thought on uh, Islanders Canes tonight? The Grumpy Series. Yeah, I'm it's the Grumpy it. Series. I Everyone's angry. I just really thought that I had the Islanders in seven, I 
think it was seven. I, I don't think this series is anywhere close to being over. The games have been too close. And let's face it, the goal that ended up being the difference, forget the overtime winner and nobody covering Jesper, Jesper Fust on the other side of the ice, which I still don't get. Um, that goal that the Islander Sebastian Ajo scored on his own net <laughs> is one of the most bizarre things that I've ever seen. Yeah. So that for me is like, that's a difference maker in that game. And that doesn't, that just doesn't happen. Okay. I'm not a gambler. You yes. are. You know what the easiest prop is tonight? The easiest prop is going to happen in that game. I'm curious to see what this prop is. Okay. Easiest prop. It's so obvious. Go ahead. Completely Let me obvious. see if I can find it. Shoot. Islanders get the first power play. Oh, yeah. That's that's not even. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even right? need to look that up. Yes. Yeah. They. Somebody tweeted. I think it was um, my pal Tyler Cool who does stuff with uh, World Hockey Report. And he said, I can't imagine that <laughs> through 60 minutes that the Carolina Hurricanes did not make one offense. They didn't, they certainly did an overtime. Like, that's egregious. I don't care if Scott, like Scott Mayfield's a big guy. He's a monster, mm-hmm. actually. He doesn't react the way he did if he doesn't get a stick in the face in overtime in that You moment. know what, though? The other ref has got to see it, too. There's two of them. So there's a school of thought out there that says he had a regular season reaction where the Islanders needed a playoff reaction. Sure. You know what I mean? Like you can't. Well, you can't go out and chasing the ref after it happens too. No, no, no. What, what, I'm, what I'm saying is once he got the stick in the face, it's the playoffs. So you can't stop no. and expect the call. No, but it's or try to try to point out how you've just been fouled. Like the the the, the stakes are too high. Like the, there there is that thought out there yeah. that 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 Mayfield's got it. You know what? You got hit. Okay, it sucks. Stay in the play. Yes, but also your reaction when you get hit in the face is just just like that. I know. I get it. Trust me. I hate talking about players like this because I don't know how hard it is and I don't know what how he's like all of that. I get it. But the school of there is a school of thought that says. Too bad it's the playoffs. That's a regular season reaction. Yeah. A playoff reaction is right back in the And I know that in the playoffs, especially in the playoffs in overtime, it's going to take something pretty egregious to get called. But that, to me, was pretty egregious. The stick comes up near the face. It's not in control. It clips him. And the referee is standing right there. And And everybody said, well, Scott Mayfield's so big and he's in front. Well, there's another referee on the ice, too. And he's watching where the puck is. Somebody missed something. I so I agree with you. The Islanders it. are definitely getting the call tonight. And I think the Islanders are getting multiple calls tonight. I was going to say, how many times do we see Bo Horvat on the power play tonight for the Islanders? Ooh, I think that the Islanders see, get that's, that's, five power plays tonight to Carolina's. No, I can't say because the Islanders play. <laughs> they're just so physical. Uh, they're going to take penalties too. But I think five power plays. It's five gonna, power I think plays? there's going to be a lot of special teams time tonight. That's the thing. Like We're talking about, and again, I'm not, I'm not going to say that you know, Bo Horvat is Connor McDavid, but we talk about you're only going to get you know a couple of games like this. These quiet games. If you're the LA Kings, if you're the Carolina Hurricanes, so far we haven't heard from Bo Horvat specifically yeah. on the power play. That changed tonight. The Islanders, you hope so. He's going to get an opportunity. That's for sure. Uh, okay, the thank you time. Uh, thanks to Derek Lalone. How good was he? Eh, so good. Red Wings head coach, future Hall of Fame broadcaster. Uh, Keith Jones from the NHL on TNT. Thank you. Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts kicks it off each and every day. Uh, thank you, Matt Marchese. They're on the ice in New Jersey. Oh, they are? There are more of them. 
We're there. 54 minutes. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick. You're the best. Daniel Goche. Oh, Danielle Goche. Am I just looking at my script? That's my lineup. My bad. She's got new hair. I like the blue. <laughs> Thank you, Danielle. Fellow runner. Back Monday.